Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Welcome, Dr. Belkowski. It is awesome to have you here today talking about red light therapy. Um, I'm really excited to learn from you today. Absolutely, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, kind of how you got interested in red light therapy. Um, it's kind of a long answer, but I'll try to make it as succinct as I can. Um, so I am a physical therapist by trade. And so I graduated from the University of Montana, go Grizz, up in, uh, up in Montana, uh, 2016. And shortly after I graduated, I took a local job in Missoula, Montana. And my, uh, my initial plan was to work for a couple of years and gain experience and then move to Australia and work there for a couple of years. Cause that's kind of where the epicenter of physiotherapy is. It's kind of in New Zealand and in Australia. So I thought I'd travel and work. So I worked for a couple months at my, at my job and I quickly found that I was not happy with the allopathic model of mm-hmm. physical therapy specifically where, um, when you're treating, and especially when someone else owns the clinic, they want you to treat a certain way more or less because that means the clinic gets reimbursed more, mm-hmm. even if that treat does not you know, benefit the patient as much. So mm-hmm. there's definitely this, uh, this feeling in this, I mean, and this is not just physical therapy, but where insurances kind of dictate your treatments. So your hand is kind of forced and you're kind of handcuffed by how you can treat because the people above you, your bosses want you to treat, I mean, not explicitly, but they're kind of heavily implying treat a certain way. So the reimburse or the, the, the practice can get reimbursed more so we can keep the doors open, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So that just didn't sit well for me because I knew there's this treatment over here that I could be using, but I was essentially be, being told to not use this, use a different one because we'll get paid more. So that happened around the same time that I took my first continuing education course as a PT in dry needling. Mm-hmm. And this is, this was kind of the turning point in the biggest aha moment, especially for my PT career, because dry needling is extremely powerful and amazing just to put it uh, succinctly. And not all States can dry needle. For example, as of now, I believe you can't dry needle in California, Oregon and Washington and New York so there's a lot of big states with big populations where you still can't dry needle. But for those who can and that have been exposed to dry needle, and I think they can speak to the powerful benefits of you can walk in with a lot of pain and you can leave with almost none in one treatment and the results are real. And that's because you can reduce inflammation and you can improve circulation almost instantaneously with dry needling. And so that's kind of my connection with red light therapy. So years later, well, let's go back just a moment. So I quit my job <laughs> a couple of months, a couple of months in, yep, didn't sit right with me. And so I started my own cash-based PT practice, which means I didn't take insurance. And that meant that meant that insurances couldn't dictate how I treated. I could mm-hmm. treat how I wanted, of course, within my scope of practice, but I wasn't handcuffed by insurances anymore. So I could much more readily use things like dry needling and 
cupping and blood flow restriction training. And eventually, uh, last year, I got a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber, which has been amazing for a lot of healing purposes. Um, so through this, and I've had my practice since the beginning of 2017, so it's been about four years now, and I've kind of just built up a lot of holistic treatments. And like you, they're mostly heavily backed by research. And equally importantly, the results that my patients get speak for themselves. And so I wouldn't condone or I wouldn't advocate for a treatment that did not work. I wouldn't, you know, pull the wool over someone's eyes, if you will, uh, just to get patients in the door. So through this holistic process or finding holistic treatments to add to my repertoire, I came across a book about red light therapy. And I'd heard about it before from different podcasts. I was listening to the most uh, popular one, Ben Greenfield. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the book on Amazon, I wasn't really, you know, pulled towards it or gravitated towards it, but it had a lot of reviews and it was five stars. So I was like, I got to read this, you know, it must be good. And so when I started reading that book, it's the one by Ari Witten, mm -hmm. uh, the, the research and the physiology, the mechanisms of actions were, had so much in common with dry needling that it, again, it was this aha moment. If I hadn't been so well-versed in dry needling, it might not have been such an impactful moment for me, but there was this heavy correlation between the two and I knew how powerful dry needling was. And just like dry needling, I'm like, why don't more people know about this? How come more people aren't utilizing it if it's really this powerful? So that led me to look at what the market had to offer. And what I noticed was there was kind of two ends of the spectrum, more or less. And one end was kind of the cheapo products, um, not to dog on Amazon, but like the cheap products you can get on Amazon. And so possibly cheap results, or we don't know what the safety is on those as much. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have pretty darn expensive uh, pieces of equipment, which is not always a bad thing, but I didn't really see based on the specs if those prices were justified. Mm -hmm. So there seemed to be this massive gap in between where if someone could develop and produce a quality product and then um, make it more affordable, I mean, I thought there could be a high demand. And so that's kind of how BioLite came to be. Hmm. Wow. And I think it's interesting too, when we're comparing dry needling and light therapy, right? One is definitely, um, you know, dry needling compared to light therapy. Dry needling is probably a little bit scarier for some people. I've only had it done once, um, but it was, like you said, very effective. But if I had to choose between sitting in front of a red light and getting dry needling, I would probably choose the red light therapy and can absolutely relate on the level of not going into the clinical realm as a dietitian. You know, a lot of people go and get experience in a clinical realm and exactly the same way that you mentioned, I knew it was going to limit me a lot in how I practiced and treated clients. And um, so I kind of skipped a few steps, luckily, but it seems like through that process, you actually learned a lot and it was really valuable. So that's really cool. Yeah. So what is red light therapy? So, I mean, we're going to talk about red light therapy, but then there's also, um, is it near infrared, near infrared that is also, um, because I have a bio light, so I purchased from your company and 
I've already mentioned this is not a sponsored podcast. This is literally me really liking my product, but the product that I have has red light, but then it also has near infrared. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Can you talk about the difference between what they are and kind of, do they have the same benefits or is there, you know, one specific use for red versus near infrared and how someone might kind of approach using the two? Yeah, definitely. And that's a common question. So whenever I hear red light therapy, I feel that it encompasses both red and near infrared light. Although some people say red light therapy and then some, and then they also say near infrared light therapy, but in general, when you hear red light therapy, it it comprises both red and near infrared. So they're just two spectra, red and near infrared, um, part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And red is the visible portion, which is that beautiful red that you see um, in all the pictures that people post on social media. Mm -hmm. And then near infrared is less glamorous because it's outside of the visible spectrum and it's invisible, at least to our eyes. And so the the difference other than it being visible and non-visible is that red since it's a shorter wavelength does not penetrate as deeply into our body mm. although it penetrates deeper than any other visible color um so it's only useful for skin conditions really because it doesn't penetrate any deeper than the skin so if you're going for anti-aging skin if you're looking you know to get rid of some wrinkles or um, sunspots, age spots, and wound healing, then you want to definitely incorporate red, if not only red. Okay. The only time you'd want to incorporate near infrared with your skin is if you have some really deep uh, wounds or you're trying to you know, reduce some hypertrophic scarring. But otherwise, you just want to use some or just red light. Okay. So with that being said, near infrared light is longer in wavelength, so it can penetrate deeper So whenever you're trying to treat anything deeper than the skin, you must incorporate near infrared. Otherwise, you're not going to see the benefits you're going for. So that means muscle, bone, organs like the heart and brain, eyes even. uh, You need to incorporate near infrared light. And if we look on the um, past near infrared on the electromagnetic spectrum, we run into mid-infrared and far infrared. And those are what make up a majority of the wavelengths or light, if you will, in infrared saunas. And that's another question I get a lot is what's the difference between red light therapy and infrared saunas? Should I get one or the other? Or like, can I use both in the same day? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that because I my first exposure to I don't know if it was true red light or not, but I went to one of those saunas I felt so good. And I was like, I don't know, is it because of the heat or is it because something to do with the light? So could you elaborate more? I'm sorry, I cut you off there. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's a super common question. And so and like you just asked, a lot of people ask about the, the red light that is in saunas. And at least the saunas that I've looked at, it's really difficult to find the specs of the actual light. Um. And then the, those that you can, just like I would guess, the light is, the power's too low to really have a therapeutic dosage that you're going with red light therapy. Red light therapy, the panels you see on the market are pretty high dosage, or they're putting out a lot of um, joules of energy. Whereas the ones in the sun, I think it's almost more for ambiance. I mean, you may be getting a little bit of something, 
but it's not near high enough if you're going for the actual therapeutic uh, dosage. Okay. But regardless, I mean, you're still getting the input into your eyes, which is a good thing because it, you know, relaxes um, into your parasympathetic uh, nervous system, calms you down, inhibits cortisol production. So if you're doing it at night, especially, it's probably a calming presence. But the, the red and the near infrared light in red light therapy is not giving you the same health benefits as the mid and far infrared in saunas. And some saunas tout that they include all the infrareds like near, mid, and far. But even so, it's going to be a majority of mid and far infrared. And so the one thing that red light therapy has over uh, infrared saunas is that it's specifically treating or therapeutically affecting the mitochondria, whereas uh, mid and far infrared is not. And that's a pretty big deal, which we can get into because uh, recent research has shown that the mitochondria really dictate your overall health and longevity. So whereas infrared saunas, the, the mid and far infrared, they do not specifically affect the mitochondria, at least not directly. The saunas are very good, of course, for detoxing, getting that deep sweat, which speaks to the longer wavelengths that penetrate deeper. So you get the detox, you get cardiovascular benefits, you can increase your uh, growth hormone production, heat shock protein production, um, and just a lot of research shows that it or, <clears throat> excuse me, increases your longevity with mm -hmm. consistent use. So there's a lot of good things going on there, but again, it's not specifically altering or affecting the mitochondria directly. Mm. And that's what makes red light therapy so powerful and why you see this laundry list of things that it can potentially help with like skin health and hair health and thyroid, heart, brain, uh, athletic performance, sleep, anxiety, depression, and the list goes on and on and on because it's red and near infrared, infrared light is specifically treating the mitochondria, which is in every single cell in your body, hundreds, if not thousands of mitochondria per cell in every single cell in your body, except for red blood cells. And in fact, about 10% of your weight is mitochondria. Mm. So if you're 150 pounds, you're 15 pounds of mitochondria walking around, which is kind of astounding because they're, they're small. I mean, there's thousands per cell and yet they make up that much of your weight. Um, and we can get into the details of the mitochondria and what they do, but, uh, to put it succinctly, they really do impact your overall health and longevity. Yeah. Anytime I talk to a client about, mitochondria the first thing they say because you know everyone's taking a basic science class of like oh yeah the powerhouse of the cell and I love that we remember that but we don't often think about how important it is with our health um, and longevity and there's so many things that can impact the mitochondria and I think that's a huge reason why fasting and the ketogenic diet um, you know, those types of practices have become really popular is because we have this research and we have these links to mitochondrial health and these outcomes. But I think let's talk about it in terms of how red light can impact the uh, mitochondrial function and what that looks like in terms of cellular respiration, because I'd much rather be using a red light therapy than intermittent fasting and um, you know, doing things like the keto diet, because I've talked about this several times, those things can be re really restrictive and they can also, you know, really disrupt female hormones and other things like that. So could you kind of talk about the mechanism of action with the mitochondria? Sure. 
So I hope this doesn't get too deep into the science, but um, like you're alluding to, it's really where the rubber meets the road as far as how red light therapy really works. So it's important to understand. So there's an enzyme on our mitochondria called the cytochrome C oxidase. And this is the reason why red and near infrared light is so important to our mitochondria because the cytochrome C oxidase is a photoacceptor, mean, meaning that it's accepting photons of light energy and turning it into something else. And the cytochrome C oxidase specifically accepts red and near infrared light. So that's important for people to know. It's not like red therapy or red light therapy was developed because red light looks cool social media or um, scientists were in the lab trying to decide what two spectra to use or, or what have you. It's because the cytochrome C oxidase specifically accepts red and near infrared light. So it's just evolution in our biology over millions, if not billions of years um, of the mitochondria. This is what they accepted. And it's no coincidence that over half of the light that falls to earth is infrared light. Mm. So, you know, when we look at biology or evolution, it leaves a lot of, um, a lot of hints and clues to our, to our current physiology and biology. And so when the cytochrome C oxidase, cytochrome C oxidase is um, excited by red or near infrared light, it's going to essentially make the energy production of the mitochondria more efficient. When, when we're lacking the full spectrum sunlight, which contains red and near infrared light, or we're not exposing ourselves to red light therapy, then nitric oxide can potentially stay connected to the cytochrome C oxidase, which means um, that the oxygen cannot attach to the cytochrome C oxidase, which is needed for the energy production. But when we're exposed to light, the nitric oxide dissociates from the cytochrome C oxidase. Thus, um, it's open and available for the oxygen to attach, and it can kind of begin that energy production. And that's also likely why we see such an improvement in circulation is because when we get that dissociation of nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, all of a sudden, you know, blood and uh, the lymph is able to flow more freely or normally. And so with, with that in mind, um, the energy production is more efficient. And that's because now the electrons can go through the electron transport chain, which has to go through five uh, respiratory proteins. And this is kind of a rabbit hole, but the distance of those respiratory proteins, which is the electron transport chain, make a significant impact on how effective your electrons can get through the chain and ultimately make that ATP and water, which are the end products of cellular respiration. And so there's a lot of things that can either um, shrink the distance, which is what you want, because then the electrons can be more efficient, or on the flip side, there's things that can lengthen the distance of those respiratory proteins, which means there's more chance for those electrons to fall through and be lost, and thus you're going to lose energy production. So things like you were alluding to that improve the distance of those respiratory proteins are things like fasting and exercise and cryotherapy and um, hydration status. And things that can lengthen those is being... Um, exposed to excessive blue light, especially at night, because that ruins your circadian rhythm. And 
um, just being excessively exposed to EMFs. And now we have 5G coming out, which is exponentially worse than 4G and th- uh, 4G and 3G, of course. So we're we're in this modern day and age. We're we're fighting an uphill battle where we're being bombarded by EMFs constantly. I mean, even out here in the middle of rural Montana, there's 5G towers all over the place where they weren't there years ago. Mm. We have Bluetooth, we have Wi-Fi. I think every person has an average of five to seven Bluetooth or Wi-Fi devices. So you're constantly bombarding your body with that. And if you live in a bigger city where the, the population is even denser, that means you're being exposed not only from your devices, but from everyone's devices around you. So it kind of compounds your dehydration status, which then again, lengthens the electron transport chain, makes your energy production less efficient, means not only are you producing less ATP, which is the token of energy, but you're producing less water, which is important because water actually surrounds the respiratory protein chains and a byproduct of um, cellular respiration is the mitochondria release infrared heat and heat shrinks water. We're very familiar that if we stick water or some sort of beverage in the freezer, it will expand. But on the flip side, if we heat water, it'll actually shrink. And so by the mitochondria producing water, which it puts around those cellular cellular, uh, respiratory proteins, by heating it with infrared uh, light from from itself, it actually shrinks those respiratory proteins, thus making its own energy production more efficient. So it's pretty interesting how the mitochondria has been built over time to make itself either more efficient or on the flip side, now in this modern day where we're always indoors, we're not getting the sunlight, we're bombarded by um, cellular and uh, sorry, like cell phones, but um, EMS and such, we're not only going against our own biology as far as EMFs and such, but we're not getting the light exposure that we need. So it's kind of uh, the worst of both cases. And so that's really the only reason that red light therapy even needs to be around is because we're deficient in red and near infrared light. If you talk to your grandma and especially your great grandma, they would laugh at you if you're telling them that you're using this red and near infrared light device, because back in the day, they were always outside. They weren't, you know, battling um, EMFs and such. So their mitochondria weren't fighting the battle that we are today. So that's really, really why red light therapy is even relevant today. That was a great explanation. And for all of my um, dietitians listening, they're probably having PTSD thinking about the um, electron transport chain. And, <laughs> you know, all the years we had to go through to memorize the different components of that process. But I think it, it sounds like, um, you know, a really important topic for people to just kind of conceptualize and a good a good example of, you know, you mentioned, you tell your grandparents this, well, my grandfather, he's, you know, has horrible back pain. And my uncle, who's um, kind of just been always into, you know, more like holistic remedies, um, you know, more of the the unconventional type of treatment. He brought up a red light therapy. Um, it was like a little, whatchamacallit, like a mat that you put on someone's back. And I don't know where he got it. It was up to like a thousand dollars or something like that. And 
Um, my grandfather was, he is an engineer. So he was just so confused. He, he was like, okay, this is not, this is gimmicky. He was very skeptical. And I remember I went and used it on my hip because I was struggling with some tendonitis. And that night, my hip almost instantly felt better. And I said to my grandfather the next day, I was like, you know, wow, my, my hip felt a lot better. And my grandfather was so beside himself. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. How could it work? And I myself was skeptical as well. You know, I, I went and then further dove into the research behind it because I think, as I mentioned, I'm very evidence-based, not evidence-limited. But when I did dive into the research, there was actually a good amount um, to support, as you mentioned, skin health, um, mood, sleep, recovery from exercise, but even more importantly is that this has been a treatment for, um, you know, some even more serious medical conditions and things like, um, you know, bone repair, um, tendon healing and things like that. And so after reading that, you know, I thought it was crazy to think that even just one use of something like that could make the pain and swelling go down, but it did. It, it really did. So I would love if we could segue into some of the research um, that you've seen, because I know you mentioned, you know, over 10,000 peer-reviewed research articles um, on this topic. And I think I've had people message me and say, oh, you know, there's not much research at all. Like, and I think it's important to note that when you're doing research, you're not always going to find stuff under specifically red light therapy. But what is the term like photo, um, you know, modulation or something like that? There's different search terms that you need to be using to see how this actually, like you mentioned, has been used for several years for treatment of these different types of things. Yeah, for people that want to search it, like on PubMed or ResearchGate or something, you either want to type in photobiomodulation or LLLT, which is low-level laser therapy. Those are kind of the science terms for red light therapy. But like you said, if you type in red light therapy skin health, you're not going to find much because that's not what they use in the, in the research world. So it's photobiomodulation or LLLT. So just type in one of those two words, probably LLLT, because that's four versus 15 or whatever, 12. But type in LLLT plus whatever you're curious about. It can be LLLT uh, thyroid, LLLT hair, skin. It can be whatever. But that's where you're going to see quite a list of, of research. Um, and it's kind of still, even though there's so much research, it's still, I don't want to say the wild, wild west, but I mean, the whole reason I developed the, the protocol ebook is because there's such a variance from treatment to treatment that, you know, a lot of these companies or a lot of influencers or whatever, they're promoting to use it like 15 or 20 or 30 minutes every single day, which for most people, you'll probably get some results relatively quickly just because we're so uh, mal-illuminated, lacking full, full spectrum sunlight. So you're going to see results right away. But if you do that consistently week in and week out, you're probably going to overtreat, which it's not the worst thing in the world. And it's not even dangerous, really, which is the beautiful part about red light therapy is it's very safe. It's, it's a low risk, high reward. But if you overtreat, you're probably just not going to get the results you're looking for. So it's really about honing in that treatment dosage to kind of make your treatments more effective and more efficient. 
So for example, when you're treating the skin, like anti-aging skin, Mm -hmm. you want to use red light only about 15 to 18 inches away for like two to three minutes, wherever um, you want to see results. So let's say your face, you just shine it on your face for two to three minutes. You do that, you know, three to four, maybe five days a week, you're going to see results, you know, within a couple of weeks for sure. Whereas let's say you're treating sleep or anxiety, depression, you want to use, um, especially for anxiety, depression, you want to use near infrared light only and targeting your brain specifically, or especially the right um, frontal lobe, because the research shows maybe that's more advantageous, but I would suggest both. And that's going to be closer to, you know, seven to 10 minutes of near infrared light only, if not more, because you're trying to get through uh, that thick skull, which means not as much light is getting through. It's a deeper distance, so it takes a higher dosage. So even just, you know, juxtaposing those two treatment options, I mean, those are completely different parameters. And if you're trying to treat your skin and anxiety um, with one blanketed, you know, general treatment, you might see some results, but probably not as effective as it could be otherwise. And so kind of back to the research, those protocols were developed because of what the research is saying. Mm. And I believe you have the ebook. If not, let me know. I'll send it to you. But the ranges in the ebook sometimes are kind of like almost laughable because it's like three to seven minutes at, you know, six to 12 inches, you know, do it two to five days a week. Well, that's because that's kind of what the research is showing right now because some people are using lasers. Some people are using LEDs. Some people are using, you know, uh, 20 joules per treatment. Some people are using 60 for the same treatment. Like they're, let's say they're treating the thyroid. Mm. So there's such a variance for the same condition across the research that it's still not perfect. I mean, we can kind of, like I said, you know, with the protocol ebook, we can kind of differentiate from, you know, athletic performance versus sleep versus thyroid health. But even within each one of those treatments, there's still a decently wide variance because the research still isn't quite there yet. So I think as the years go by, not only will we continue to kind of perfect these treatments for the thyroid and skin and so on, but we're going to find many, many more uh, treatment options or potentials for red light therapy that we don't even know of right now. And so a piece of research that I think is worth citing is one that was done um, in Sweden where they took, uh, was it 20,000 subjects? I don't know if it was 20,000 subjects or 10,000 subjects over 20 years, but it was all females and they basically looked at sun exposure and those who got the most sun exposure versus those who got the least sun exposure live twice as long, all cause a mortality. So specifically just sun exposure uh, has the potential to increase your life. And a lot of that comes back to the mitochondria. So that's a pretty powerful piece of, of evidence because again, you don't even need red light therapy. You just need full spectrum sunlight. Um, and the issue that we run into with that is again, people aren't getting outside as consistently as frequently, whether it's because of their job or because we're now scared of the sun all of a sudden because mm-hmm. it can create quote unquote skin cancer. But the skin cancer comes because we don't expose our skin and our body to sun enough. 
every single one of us darn near, um, albeit outside of some sort of uh, abnormality, should be getting consistent sun every single day. We should be able to eventually build up our, our solar callus, as some people call it, to the point where you can be out in the sun as long as you want, sun exposed or uh, skin exposed, no sunscreen, no, no suntan lotion or whatever. And you can be out there as long as you want without getting a sunburn. But kind of like there's weekend warriors for sports, I feel like we've become, especially in the US, kind of the weekend warrior of sun exposure because we're in the office Monday through Friday. And then we'll get outside for a hike or, or walking or playing sports on the weekend when we get the most sun exposure. And if your skin's not getting exposed five out of seven days of the week, of course, you're more likely to get those sunburns on the weekends. And it's the sunburns that typically lead to the skin cancer. And then everyone's afraid of skin cancer. So they're not as willing to get. So it's this vicious cycle that we're not getting enough sunlight, which is really leading to all this mitochondrial dysfunction, which is leading to, as Dr. Doug, uh, Dr. Doug Wallace would tell you, the top researcher in mitochondrial um, uh, research is that 80% of modern diseases are due to mitochondrial dysfunction. And if there's something to take away from this podcast, it's that being deficient in near in uh, near infrared and red light will lead to an increase in your mitochondrial dysfunction. And the more dysfunctional mitochondria you have, the quicker you're going to age and the more likely that you'll have some sort of disease if not cancer down the road. So really a lot of what people should be gearing towards as far as optimizing their health and wellness and longevity should be finding ways to optimize their mitochondria. And that can be through diet, that can be through light, that can be through water, that can be through magnetism such as grounding on the earth or staying away from blue light at night so your circadian rhythm doesn't get botched or, um, you know, uh, having your laptop plugged in directly versus through Wi-Fi or turning off your Bluetooth at night. So there's a lot of really simple steps and free steps that you can take to improve your mitochondrial health, which will um, improve your, your overall health and wellness uh, as much as possible. I love that recommendation of getting outside more because and I think this is actually something good that came out of the pandemic and not for a lot of people. Of course, you know, there's mental health challenges that come along with the pandemic and isolation. But one of the things that I started doing every day, and I also advise a lot of my clients to start doing is to get outside first thing in the day. And that's fresh air, that's sunlight. And I mean, it's easy to say, you know, do that every day. But then of course we live in New England and then we go through the winter and, you know, it's bone chilling, you know, winds first thing in the morning before you start your work day. And that comes with its own challenges. But, but that, that advice, you know, that getting outside, getting sunlight, um, we all, you know, have the ability to walk. You don't need a gym membership to go outside and walk. You don't need, you know, of course, if you don't live somewhere that's safe, that is obviously a huge barrier, but most of us are able to go outside and, and it doesn't have to be for an hour and a half every day. It could be get outside, go walk down the road while you're drinking your cup of coffee for 15 minutes, or, you know, you're on your lunch break and, you know, maybe you can step outside for a second. I think that's a really important um, point. And I do also see a lot of people, including a lot of my family members who are terrified of the sun, right? So 
lathering up on sunscreen because of fear of skin cancer. And meanwhile, we are in the middle of in a pandemic, which is associated with vitamin D deficiency, which about 90% of Americans are, right? So pretty profound, pretty profound. Well, not just uh, skin exposure when it comes to sunlight, but your eyes need to be receiving that UV light as well, which leads to a cascade of physiological effects from growth and repair and circadian rhythm. So wearing sunglasses, especially polarized, that's actually further taken away from your overall health and wellness because now your eyes, which means your pituitary gland, your hypothalamus, your brain, are not receiving the, the signals from the UV light that it should be. So it's not only skin exposure, but it's, it's um, eye exposure too. So I've actually gone um, without sunglasses for a couple of years now, um, uh, purely based on the science behind that. And that, a lot of that comes from Dr. Jack Cruz, which if you haven't heard of him and you're interested in your health and wellness, especially your mitochondria, that's someone you need to be uh, looking up and learning from. Awesome. That's a great recommendation. I'll be sure to link his resource in the comment section as well. So we have a bunch of research. I think some of the stuff that I've seen, as you mentioned, it's very inconsistent, but it's promising. And so we're going to start seeing, I think, in the next few years, this, um, you know, different clinical trials, hopefully, in terms of treating things and, and doing it in a more specific way where we could say, oh, you know, you have um, thyroid conditions or you have insomnia or you have depression, anxiety, and we can maybe be more targeted there. Um, I even saw some research on, this was done in mice, so not, you know, quite relevant yet, but um, that they applied red light therapy um, to mice in their abdomen and they noticed that this altered the gut microbiome. Yeah, I saw that piece. That's a good piece of research. Yeah, really exciting stuff to see that, um, you know, there's potential for for altering our gut microbiome. And I mean, we have research to show the benefits of light with circadian rhythm. And we know that our gut is responsible for um, circadian rhythm and it has its own circadian rhythm. So really, really looking forward to seeing what that evolves to be and how we can, um, you know, better educate people on, on how it can benefit their own health. Now, what are the top things that you see people using red light therapy for and um, having success with it? I'd say the top one's got to be skin, um, which is kind of convenient because skin sees results the quickest. So if you're someone who's looking for results in a short period of time, then um, using red light therapy for skin health is the way to go. And You know, what I've noticed is that predominantly uh, females, which is kind of the same as physical therapy, it's like I see mostly female patients because they're more likely to take care of their bodies and and health. So the same thing with red light therapy, more females than males are investing in, you know, alternative health and wellness um, technologies. And so I guess it's no surprise that, you know, that that is part of the reason why most people are are using it for skin health and, and hair health. But then right alongside that, I would just say pain, all types of pain, whether it's arthritis or a strained muscle or a sore shoulder or post-surgery. Um, so there's a lot of people using it for pain, chronic headaches, migraines is another one. So I would say those two are, are the biggest. Um, I've seen some research yeah. in, in terms of, again, small study and just a few females in the study, but in terms of fertility, um, ha- having showing that it could improve fertility, 
um, helping with boosting progesterone production. So that was really intriguing to me as someone who also works with a lot of females. And again, this is a really accessible um, way to improve your health. You know, you don't really have to do much, you know, in terms of either getting outside or purchasing a device. For me, the winter was the hardest time for me because you're not exposing your skin to the sun, right? And even if you are, you're still not getting the full range of light that you would need for optimal health. So that was a game changer for me. You know, this winter was getting my red light therapy and I, I don't know why I live here sometimes, but it definitely made it a little bit easier. That's for sure. Yeah. It's kind of similar over here in Montana, very gloomy, overcast, minimal sun. And the sun that does come out, of course, is much lower intensity. So yeah, we're definitely kind of in the same boat that way. And along the same lines as um, fertility in the research, while there isn't much yet, I'm really hoping that it starts to kind of uh, turn up here is like testosterone, because there's yeah. a ton of anecdotes, which of course is not strong evidence, but you start getting a ton of anecdotal evidence, you kind of start having to wonder, well, let, let's put, put it to the test and do some research here and see what, what kind of results we get. So I'd be interested interested to see um, if they start doing more research on testosterone, because right now it's pretty scant. Um, but yeah, the fertility side of things or woman health side of things, there's a lot of things kind of in its infancy. And I think you're right, as the years go by, uh, we'll start to see more and more powerful research in, in that regard. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have a, a few male clients and, you know, we can talk about skin health, we can talk about joints and stuff like that. But their ears don't perk up until we talk about testosterone. And that's where, okay, maybe I will go for my morning walk outside and, um, you know, start to incorporate that into my healthy eating routine. But really, really looking forward to seeing, you know, the trajectory of where the research is heading. So you kind of talked about um, dosing and you mentioned how in your guide, um, you know, there's a place there where you can find um, some recommendations for how to use it for certain things. So I think we can just kind of reference people to that um, if they're interested. Now, um, in terms of specs, so I know you mentioned, um, you know, wavelength. So wavelength, which is measured in nanometers. And um, for me, when I was looking for a product, I was specifically looking for treating my tendonitis in my hip. So based on the research that I did, I saw, okay, I need something that has um, the infrared because I know that that penetrates more deeply. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about um, wavelength and how to choose a good product and how to ensure that you're actually getting something that works? Because I mean, these things are not cheap, right? And for me, it was absolutely an investment. Um, but I also like that you guys have um, a system where if the customer isn't happy, then, um, you can obviously make a return. Yeah. So as far as looking at products, if you're kind of on the market or interested in, in including red light therapy into your daily regimen or, or health and wellness regimen, pretty much everyone has similar, if not the same wavelengths. So 660 nanometers for red, 850 nanometers for near infrared. And so where you really want to start um, or where the companies start differentiating themselves is with the light irradiance or kind of light power, if you will, how, how much, um, how many joules the, the panel or the, the LED is going to put out at a certain distance. And so 
most companies have it measured at six inches. Some include 12 inches. But really, if you want a device that's going to have a therapeutic a therapeutic dose without having to use it for 45 minutes or 60 minutes a day, you want something that's at least 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared at six inches. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be measured at 12 inches or 15 inches at 100. You want something at six inches that's at least 100. Because again, that's important for two reasons. One, if you get a smaller device because you just want to invest in a smaller one, you know, initially or, or whatever, if it's a higher light power, that means you can move further away from the device. Let's say instead of six inches, you do 12, which then allows the light to spread further, which means you cover more of your body at once uh, without sacrificing light power or light penetration depth. And then secondly, if you are trying to treat something that's deep, like your joints or your brain, uh, you want as much light getting as deep as possible. Because again, if you're trying to go through the, uh, through the skull to the brain, or you're trying to go through all that fat and muscle tissue to the joint, really not that much light is reaching the target tissue. So if you have a higher light irradiance, there's a much greater likelihood that more light is reading the target tissue, which means more likely a higher likelihood that you're going to get the results you're looking for. So again, you want at least 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared at six inches. And then um, otherwise, some safety features to look at would be to have the EMF as low as possible. Because again, what's the point of exposing yourself to a health device if you're bombarding your body with more EMFs and Bluetooth uh, signals? Albeit probably the pros outweigh the cons, but still, why take two steps forward, one step back if you don't have to? And then light flicker, which is something, at least to this point, um, hasn't been addressed by anyone else except BioLite. And again, it's one of those things that's innocuous. You wouldn't really notice it right away. But just like you get exposed to fluorescent lights if you work in an office or computer screens, uh, cell phone screens, those have extremely high flicker rates that our eyes can't really perceive. But when exposed to excessively, like if you work in a fluorescent lit office all day or if you're staring at your computer or phone all day that can lead to a lot of issues with your not only your eyesight or your brain health but you get those mood disorder orders you get headaches migraines so again why expose yourself to a higher flicker rate if you don't want to so our panels have the lowest flicker rate on the market which is at one hertz which means one flicker per second whereas most others have 40 or 60 per second sometimes up to 100 hertz So again, if you can mitigate those, you know, the EMFs and the light flicker, uh, I think it's, especially if it's a lifestyle product that you're going to be using going forward, it probably pays dividends to have those factors as low as possible. So really it comes down to, again, because the light spectra is the same on most, you want to look at the light radiance, I would look at the EMF emission, want that as low as possible. And then uh, the light flicker, you want that as low as possible. And then up to other than that, it's really just weighing financials. How much area do you want to cover at once? How important is portability? Because some some companies have handheld versions, desktop versions, full body versions. So it really just depends on what you're trying to treat. Um, Is an isolated spot? Is it the full body? Because if you get a full body panel, of course, you're going to get full body anti-inflammatory, pro-circulatory, boosting mitochondrial health. So there's tons of benefits to doing full body treatments. But if you're really only trying to treat something that's isolated, that can be treated with a smaller device, then that's probably great because it's not as expensive. So it's just some personal factors you have to weigh as well. 
Yeah, I, I personally went with the medium size one because portability, I travel with mine like every weekend that I'm going either to my boyfriend's or my mom's house. I'm always bringing it with me. I'm obsessed with it and they all they all want to use it too. And, um, you know, I think that I would love to have a full body one at some point when I'm not traveling so much, but um, really, really love my product for that reason um, and have seen a lot of great benefits from it. But I think the biggest thing was having it in the winter when I really wasn't able to get outside and then spot treating uh, my injury. I, I am very much a skeptic and I will say it, it made a huge difference in, in how quickly I came back to running. So thank you so much. This has been incredibly insightful. Um, I, I love the science. I know a lot of listeners are probably going to be like, eh, I could have fast forwarded some of those points, but I think it's important for people to know because Um, You know, you can see a lot of claims out there and you can see a lot of these um, different health practices coming out, health and wellness practices and being able to kind of navigate the science of it is is something that I'm really passionate about. So I appreciate you coming on here and sharing a lot of that with us and your expertise. And that brings me to my last question, which is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Yeah, so. When I was thinking about this, it's like I could have gone with the traditional Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas dinners or or something like that. But something that came to my mind almost right away was uh, my my brother and I played Little League Baseball growing up. He's two years older than I am. And uh, so in the mid to late 90s, late 90s, before baseball games... <laughs> in order to get some food in our tummies and to get geared up for our baseball games, my dad would take us to Taco Bell. (laughs) And that's not the exciting part. The exciting part is that 90% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, my brother would find a way we would, we would both order bean burritos because that was, that was the thing, especially as kids, he would find a way to have, the bottom part of his bean burrito, of course, it was uncovered and it would squirt out onto his crotch. (laughs) And we're wearing our gray baseball pants because we're about to go play baseball. So, and um, I think at that point he was either a catcher or pitcher, but especially when he's a pitcher, he's up there on the mound and he's got that little spot there on his (gasps) leg or his crotch. And it's like, it was hilarious the first time. But it got funnier the seventh and eighth time because it's like you think you would learn. You'd cover the bottom or you'd like change your grip or, or, or you'd put a napkin on your lap or something. But no, he just kept doing it time after time. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my story on food <laughs> off the beaten path. But I like that's, that. that's something I just won't forget. Yeah. No, that's a really good one. And that's probably the most unique um, memory that I have and, and actually probably the funniest. Now, do you guys have a picture of this? I feel like this is something that's important to have. Man, well, back then, I don't even know if there were cell phones. Um, probably not. It's just in my in my memory bank. Yeah. And if my dad or brother ever listened to this, they would they would probably get a pretty good <laughs> chuckle out of it. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, your your brother will give everyone a laugh out of this story. So it's been <laughs> been great for us all. Now, where can people find you if they want to learn more or if they wanted to purchase um, a red light therapy device? Yeah. So the website is biolite.shop um so s-h-o-p that's where the products are but of course the website's filled with a lot of information too as far as i mean our learn sections are pretty 
I mean, decently rigorous as far as, you know, how, like for skin health, how does it help? What are the mechanisms? What does the research say? So there's a lot of um, information on the website as far, and as, um, along with the products. And then on social media, we're on um, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. If you just go and type in biolight.shop, you'll probably pull us up. But yeah, if anyone ever has questions, message through social media. The, the email is info at biolight.shop. And, you know, I love uh, conversing with people and, and educating. And I think that's even a bigger, um, you know, mission of the company of, for Biolight is not just selling products, it's informing and educating people because, um, I mean, it's a relatively new technology in a way. And of course, there's going to be a lot of questions. And with the research continuing to change, you know, every other day, um, you know, it's important that people understand what works, what's safe. And um, so that's, that's important to me is, is teaching and educating people. So by all means, reach out and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike. You are incredibly approachable. And I think that that will make consumers, um, you know, much more able to, um, you know, understand how this can benefit them and get education and research behind their decision. So I appreciate it. And thank you again so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Erin. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you are interested in purchasing any of the BioLite products, you can go to their website and use my discount code NutritionRewired10. That's for 10% off your order. And as always, if you're interested in getting to the root cause of why you have IBS, bloating, constipation, leaky gut, food sensitivities, I am taking new clients starting on June 10th for my Rewire Your Gut three-month program, and you can set up a discovery call with me on my website, nutritionrewired.com. If you like this podcast, please like this episode, comment on it, share it with a friend, download it. All of these things really help me. They keep me motivated. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate getting any feedback. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.